Good morning. My name is Wes McKay, and I'm the senior pastor here at Cross Point Baptist Church. Uh, and uh, so thankful for that you're here. If you're a guest here, again, I want to extend my welcome to you this morning. Uh, I am so thankful for uh, you being here and choosing to join us for worship. I also want to thank you for um, just a moment ago, we prayed for uh, some neighborhoods, and one of those was my street, and I felt your prayers. Me and Miss Ruby live on Jester Avenue. Um, she lives three doors down from me, and and uh, and we make it our mission to try and reach the people in our neighborhood uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ, and we cover your prayers as we do that. And so, but Exodus chapter 34, we'll be looking at verses 29 through 35. Uh, I'm about to tell you some very sad news. We only have two more sermons left in Exodus. Oh, I think I heard somebody say amen. Uh, so it, it has been a great journey through Exodus. Um, you know, this is a time that I always want to make a plug for this. You know, you might be a visitor here and not understand why people laugh and chirp at that, but we've been in Exodus for over a year and a half now, and you might be like, why would you do that to these people? And so if you're a, you're a guest here, I want to explain why, why we do this, is that each week we come to, to this time together at 1030 on Sunday mornings, and we open up God's Word, and we go through God's Word together. That's just our diet here at Crosspoint is that we believe that every single word in this book is inspired by the Lord of heaven and that we want to be attentive to everything that he has given us in Scripture, even those minute details of the tabernacle instructions. We even believe those words are inspired by God, and we need them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So every week we come here at 1030, and we open up God's Word and go passage to passage to passage to passage until we get to the end of the book. And guess what? Then we go to what? Another book, right? And so this is our diet here at Crosspoint, and we want to attend to the whole counsel of God, what Acts 20 says. And so we're coming to the end of an era here in Exodus. And so, but uh, if you've arrived here at Exodus 34, uh, verses 29 through 35, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Exodus 34, 29 through 35. It says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded, that all, he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for every single word that you have given us here, God, that it is revelation to know you by. 
And so we want to be attentive to it, oh God. We want to keep our minds and our hearts open. So God, by your spirit at work in us, God, help us to be focused. There are so many things that can distract us, but God, we want to see the glories contained in your word. And as this morning, as we're going to see, you are a glorious God, and your glory is radiating everywhere, so much so that it has left, left an imprint on Moses' face. And so God... Let's return to prayer. <laughs> God, we again just ask that we can see your glory contained in the words in the face of Jesus Christ. And that, God, we would leave just as transformed as Moses did. That, God, we would say that this is the Lord of heaven, Jesus Christ. And he is worthy of all of our worship, praise, adoration, and thanksgiving. God, let us leave different than when we came in this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said, we come to the end of an era here in Exodus. Uh, not just the book, but just this section. We started this section off, if you're new to this, it did not start off well in Exodus 32. Exodus 32 started off with a, a, a crazy situation where Moses comes down from the mountain, and he finds Israel worshiping a what? A golden calf. That's not your everyday kind of thing that you walk up on people doing, right? He comes up and wa watches them worship a golden calf, and that sends everything into chaos where uh, they're punished for their sins, but God also shows mercy to them and renews the covenant with them. And like we looked at last week, God was merciful, and he renewed a covenant with them and started kind of a reset with them. And so he gives them new command or new and kind of old commands here. And what we're going to find out today is that this section ends with the face of glory, Moses' face particularly. We're going to see what the experience that Moses had on the mountain had on him, what how it affected him, what he looked like coming down. And so hopefully we'll see this morning, as you'll see on your outline if you have one of those, is this. Is that we're looking at the old covenant and the stipulations, but we're also going to see that there's a surpassing glory of the new covenant that is mediated through Jesus Christ. And we're particularly going to see how the new covenant surpasses the old covenant in Christ Jesus through the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3. So let's just look at these couple of verses in Exodus 34, 29 through 35, before we flip in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. Look at the glory of this old covenant here. Again, starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Now, you might recognize that phrase. It's the same phrase that happened in Exodus 32. He came down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone in his hands. And you remember how that worked out, right? He got so angry at what he saw Israel doing that he did what? He threw them down and they broke and shattered. It was a symbol of... Israel breaking their promise, their commitment and covenant to Yahweh. And so he's coming down the mountain, and I would say it wouldn't be surprising to expect a similar scenario, that he would come down the mountain and find them entrenched in the same problem. But that's not what happens. When he comes down the mountain, the people are afraid of him. 
Well, why are they afraid of him? Well, the people are afraid of him because his the face, the skin of his face is shining so brightly that it terrifies them. Kind of like what they saw in Exodus 19 when they're, they're on the mountain originally and they see the lightning and the thunder and the flashes and the smoke and they're terrified, so afraid that they don't want to go up there, right? That's why they want to send Moses that way, right? And so they recognize, Moses doesn't recognize this, but they do. They recognize there's something different about Moses coming down this time, that his face is different and it terrifies them. He's not the same and this is unbeknownst to Moses himself, he's got a beam about him. Now, I don't know about you, but we use that kind of phrase in our own language, right? They are glowing, right? Uh, They are just beaming. We say that sometimes about ladies who are pregnant, right? Oh, you have a glow about you. Don't really understand what that means as a male, but it sounds right, right? I just say it to everyone, you know, right? You're just, you're glowing, you're beaming, because that's what everybody else says. But supposedly there's a shine about that, right? There's a, there's glow. And, and we say that about other people too, like an exciting thing has happened to you, and so you have this big smile on your face. Something's affected you so greatly, and so you're like, man, you're beaming for some reason for this morning. Something happened to you? Yeah, I got this, I got this, I got this. And so this phrasing of glowing and beaming, it's, it's the effect that something or someone has upon you, and people can recognize that, right? Well, this is similar to what Moses has occurred here. He's glowing. He's beaming in some way. His face is shining, right? Well, why is his face shining? Look at what it says in verse 29. His face shone because he had what? He had what? He'd been talking with who? God. He'd been talking with God. He's up on the mountain conversing with God. Intimacy nearness, proximity to God, though though indirectly, right, is that even Moses, because of his sin, can't be in direct access to God because he's holy and he's glorious. So God has to make some of those precautions, right? He's got to put him in the cleft of a rock. He's got to put his hand over him. He can't, Moses can't even see his face, right? He's got to see his backside. So even that leaves a penetrating mark, a recognizable mark on, on Moses' face. God's indirect presence was physically transformative for Moses, is that he's got secondhand kind of glory radiation on his face. This is what comes from intimacy with God for Moses in this intimate relationship. And for the good of the people, he's got to put a veil over his face, which I know for many of us would be an insulting feature, right? Gosh, man, your face, put something over that, right? That's what we use, you know, when we mock other people. Gosh, man, wear a mask, right? But here it was actually necessary for Moses, right? Is that he had to put a veil over his face because the glory and the brightness and the light was too much for Israel. It was too much for them. Is that they couldn't even speak with him. And that this is just another distinction. And we've seen this so far in Exodus. This is another level of separation between Israel and Yahweh. If you just think about that for a second, is that first there's a level of separation where they have to have a mediator go between them and God. Another level of separation is that there's a tent, right, that the mediator has to go in to meet with God. So another level. And now there's another level of separation, a veil between the face of the mediator and the people. So multiple levels of separation, another indicator that that there's a problem in the relationship between 
Israel and God. As is with any of our relationship, sin will always cause distance between us. Is that intimacy is always affected. Our intimacy with God through Christ is affected by our own sin. So I've said this past weeks, but I'll say it again. If this morning you're feeling distance between you and God, if you don't feel a level of intimacy, again, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us and our sin because our sin always hurts our intimacy with the Lord. It always hurts these things. And so he has to put a veil over his face so that they can continue to kind of work together in some sense, that he can continue to mediate. But you might be wondering, why are we told this story in the first place? Why do we have to find out something about Moses' glowing, shiny, glorious face? Why would, why would Moses feel the need to tell us this? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why we're told about this. Is first, this story of God giving them the old covenant and it coming with, with basically a transformative effect on Moses is an indicator that this old covenant is glorious. It's glorious, and it's glorious because it comes from a glorious God. The old covenant and all that we've read in Exodus 20 from the Ten Commandments to 20 through 23 and all those random laws that we got and more laws that we'll see in Deuteronomy and places like that, the old covenant is glorious. It's awesome. It is incredible. And it's a reflection of the God who gave it to them. And I know that uh, for us as New Covenant Christians who are in Christ Jesus, sometimes we can diminish or demean the law, these laws, the Old Covenant sometimes. Or we're not, uh, those aren't necessary. Those aren't important. We're New Covenant Christians who we need to, even people will say language like this, we need to disentangle ourselves from the Old Testament, from the law. Let me tell you this, folks. That is not how the Bible speaks about the law and the commandments that God has given Israel in the Old Covenant. That's not how they speak about them at all. Listen to what the Bible says about the Old Covenant. Nehemiah 9.13, You came down from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. Paul says a similar thing in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandments, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Jesus, I think we can all remember his statement. Do not think that I have come to, what? Abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. So it can be really easy to read Exodus 20 through 23, all these laws and commands in between Genesis and Deuteronomy and say, Those are unimportant. Those aren't for us. Those aren't needed. Those aren't good. Let's take the position of the Bible when we talk about these things. Is that they are good. The law is good. Paul says in Romans 7, it's not that the law is bad. It's that I'm bad. The law is good. And so the first thing that we see is this. The old covenant is glorious because it comes from a glorious God. second thing that this little story shows us the shining face of Moses. It says that Moses is the authorized leader of Israel, right? If you have glory shining off your face, it kind of says, maybe you need to be in a place of leadership, right? And that's what it is for Moses, is that it's God's way of authenticating, authorizing him, saying that you are the leader of Israel. 
You are the one who is serving as mediator between God and Israel. And that's why I will say in Deuteronomy 34.10, there has not come one person after Moses that has had this kind of a relationship face-to-face with God. So the, the glory, the glorious shining face of Moses, it first shows us that the old covenant is glorious. It second shows us that Moses is the authorized mediator of this covenant. And thirdly, it shows us just the radiant, overpowering glory of God. That God is so glorious that His presence leaves a physical impact on Moses' face. God's presence leaves His people changed and transformed. One who encounters the glorious presence of God is, is never the same. I was reading this past week just about nuclear bombs. I'm not in the I'm not in the field of building one. Just want just want to make that clear, but just interested. And uh I was reading about you might have heard this uh, this SAR bomba bomb. This was made back I think in the 60s. And just the massive blast impact of this bomb. So much so that within a 150 mile radius, everything is annihilated in a 150 mile radius. And so much so that 1,400 miles away from where it was, from where it was, um, the test was run, 1,400 miles away, windows and houses were busting and breaking. Think about that. Nowhere even near the bomb site. Nowhere even near the test. And it's leaving an impact on houses 1,400 miles away. That's what I think about here when you talk about God's glory, is that Moses is in the presence of God. He is in direct intimacy with Him. And it is impossible for Moses not to be impacted and changed and transformed by those things. There's something powerful about the presence of God. So powerful, in fact, that it's recognizable when somebody comes into contact with God's presence. And I would just stop right here for us to think about this for a second. Is it evident, believer, that you have actually been changed and transformed and indwelt by the powerful, holy presence of God in His Spirit? Is it evident? Because what we see here. Intimacy and nearness to God will greatly transform you. It will definitely transform you. I would say right now, would you say that you are, you are so near to God that it is transforming you by His indwelling Holy Spirit? Romans 8.11 talks about how the Spirit greatly changes and transforms us when he says this, Paul. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Jesus from the dead will surely give life to your mortal bodies. Meaning that the same Spirit that resurrected Christ actually dwells in you as well if you are in Christ Jesus. And that has a massive impact on who you are and how you live. Would it be evident to those around you that you have been intimately near God through His indwelling Holy Spirit in you? This old covenant is great here, so great that it leaves a mark on Moses' face to where they cannot even look and see him, his face, where he has to cover it when he is in their presence. This is a glorious old covenant. This is a, a testimony to the glorious nature of who God is. But 
Exodus 34, 29 through 35 is pointing us to something even more glorious. You might think, how could it get better than this? How could it get better than what we're seeing here where Moses is in the presence of God and he's transformed by it? How could it get better? Let me tell you this, church. It gets much better. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. If you're having trouble, you can start with the Gospels in Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And what Paul is going to bring out here is that, yes, the Old Covenant is glorious, but the New Covenant has surpassing glory. It's kind of like the first vehicles. So there's a, I don't, many of you might be automobile people in here, so again, as y'all know, I don't know a whole lot about many things in this world, which is why I Google. So, uh, so what I found is there a big debate on who made the first car. I'm not trying to get in that debate right now. But one of the first cars that were made, really interesting, it was, for its time, it was revolutionary. But listen to this first car. So it could seat four passengers. Okay. It could only go for about 15 minutes. And for those 15 minutes, your max speed is like two and a half miles per hour. For its time, people were like, there's nothing better than this car. I mean, how could we get better than two and a half miles per hour, right? I mean, people are walking faster than that, right? But people were amazed. This was revolutionary for their time. Right when everybody rode on horseback, a car that could go two and a half miles an hour, a car that could hold four people and go 15 minutes, wow, there's nothing better than this. Well, let me just say this. I think we would all agree, for its time, I bet that was great for people. But it didn't mean that it was going to be the best thing possible. There's The car has come a long way. I don't know a lot about cars, but they've come a long way. And I would say the same, the same illustration applies to the Old Covenant. For its time for Israel, it is glorious. It is majestic. But it is pointing to something so much better, greater, and more glorious. And that is the New Covenant. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 18. And the reason I'm bringing us here is this. Is 2 Corinthians 3 is a commentary on Exodus 34, 29 through 35. So you don't have to go out to Amazon and buy a commentary on Exodus 34, 29 through 35. You have it right here in Exodus 3, 7 through 18. So let's just, let's just read how Paul thinks about Exodus 34, 29 through 35. Listen to this, starting in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory. Much more will what is permanent have, glo have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant. That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did anybody hear any similarities and parallels to Exodus 34, 29-35? Sounds really similar, right? There's a reason for that. Paul is drawing on this to show that, yes, the old covenant was glorious, so glorious that Moses had to hide his face behind a veil. But let me tell you this. If you think that was great, what Christ has brought in in the new covenant is so much better. It's so much better. And it's better for a number of ways that Paul says. Here's one reason that it's better. Paul says it's better because the new covenant is written on flesh, human hearts, and not on tablets of stone, right? Tablets of stone that can be broken, right? But no, God has actually put it on his people's hearts. And what, what Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 says this, is, these are new covenant passages, it says, I'm going to write my law on your heart, and I'm going to give you a new spirit so that you're able to obey what I've commanded you. Is that in the old covenant, there. There's no tools. There's no ability to obey it. But God says, I'm going to take care of that whole problem for you. I'm going to give you a new covenant, and it's going to come with the right equipment for you to obey it. A new heart and a new spirit, because that's what we desperately need. Because, look, I think we all know this from the world that we can see. We are not born with good hearts. We are not born with good intentions. What Ezekiel 36 says, what Jeremiah 31 says, what Deuteronomy 30 says, we are born with hard hearts, stone hearts. They're not receptive. They don't, stone doesn't receive things. It's not receptive to what God has said. But God, in a supernatural way, takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh so that we can obey Him. This is what God does in the New Covenant. And that's why it's better than the Old Covenant. It's written on human hearts, and we're enabled to obey it. The New Covenant is better because it's not just Moses beholding the glory of the Lord. It's all those in Christ Jesus. Right? It's not just one person going behind stage and saying, isn't that great? You know, you hear friends talk about, yeah, I went to a concert, and I was able to go behind stage and meet and meet the people back there and meet, you know, whoever it is you might be listening to, and they come back and they tell you, oh, man, it was great. We did this. You know, we sat in there sweet and whatever. You know, we ate their goodies and all that. They told them about all their stuff and things like that. They tell you that, and that, that's great, but that's kind of secondhand information, right? Like, you're not in the room. You don't understand fully what's going on. You're just hearing it hearsay in some sense. And what Paul says is this, what makes, makes the new covenant so much better is that it's not just Moses going behind the curtain to see the glory of the Lord. It's everybody in Christ Jesus. This is why he can say this, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. Man, is that we all get this experience. 
We all get to see this. One day in Christ Jesus in Revelation 21, we all get to see and behold the beauty and the glory in the Lamb of God seated on his throne. It's not just for one person, one mediator. It is for all those in Christ Jesus. The new covenant is better because we all get to participate. And when we behold this glory, this is what it says, verse 18. We are being transformed into the same image from one glory to another. As we said with Moses, is that he came, into, he came into the presence of God and he was transformed by it this morning, church. Is that our encounter with Jesus will radically transform your life. If you truly have experienced Christ, you truly have been given a new heart and new spirit, then your encounter with Christ Jesus will not leave you the same person than when you encountered him. You will be drastically different, just as Moses was. You can't be the same. You cannot be unchanged. And I would just ask this. Have you experienced that transformation? Have you seen that occur in your life? Can you see the testimony and the fruit of actually having experienced Christ? Is that if you truly have seen and experienced Christ, you will be forever changed. And as Paul says, we will be conformed to the image of His Son, Christ Jesus. Are you daily being renewed and conformed to look more like Him? Would you say in the years that you have been following Christ, whether that's one year or 50 years, that you look more like Jesus today than you did 50 years ago or a year ago when you came to know Him? Or let me ask you this. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday, last week? last month. Because if we are in Christ Jesus, if we have been given a new spirit and a new heart, let me tell, let me say this, what the Bible is telling us here. You will be transformed and conformed to His image to look more like Jesus. Maybe this morning you say, you know what, I don't look much different than when I started following Jesus. I don't look much different than a month ago or a year ago, 10 years ago. I do all the same things. I think the same ways. I act the same ways. I would say this, have you truly experienced Christ Jesus? Have you truly come to know Him? Because what 1 John says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Are you looking more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? The reason this new covenant is better is not because, not only because it comes with a new heart and new spirit that we're able to obey it, not only because we get to behold the glory of the Lord, but also because it comes and is inaugurated by a better mediator, Jesus Christ. Moses was a great mediator for his time. No way, let's, let's not diminish him or disdain him. But there is a better mediator in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 3 talks about this. says, look, Moses is great as, as one in God's house, but the builder is the better one. Christ Jesus being the mediator. And that he is the better mediator because he doesn't just reflect God's glory. That's all Moses was doing in Exodus 34, 29-35. Is that in Exodus 34, 29-35, he had come into contact with God and he's reflecting God's glory back to others. Listen to this. Jesus is not reflecting God's glory back to others. Jesus inherently, internally is glorious 
inherently. He does not reflect. He radiates glory. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus Christ radiates the glory of God because He is God Himself in the flesh. That's what makes Him a better mediator. And this is what His disciples experienced with Him on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that in Matthew 17? Very similar to Matthew 24 and Matthew 34 here. They go up the mountain, the three disciples... And they see who on the mountain? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And what happens to Jesus on that mountain? He's transfigured. His robes. And it also says something about His face. His face shone like the sun. And Moses and Elijah were talking with Him. Now remember, in Exodus 34, 29-35, Moses was talking with God and it left an imprint on his face that his face shined. Now in Matthew 17, Moses is talking with God again in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Jesus radiates His glory. He is glorious and shows Himself. The reason this new covenant is better is because we have a better mediator in Jesus Christ. Only one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2 says, the man Christ Jesus. There is no one else. This morning, if you are here and you are not in Christ Jesus, let me tell you what your greatest need is. You need a mediator between you and God. That's what you desperately need. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new family. You don't need a new car. Those things are secondary to what your greatest need is. is a mediator between you and God. And look, let me just forewarn you. On the last day when you stand before God, the judge of all the earth, you will not be able to mediate for your sin. You can't. You won't. Only one can. And that is Christ Jesus who has lived perfectly. None of us have done that. He has died sacrificially. None of us have done that. He has been raised from the dead. None of us have done that. Those are the three criteria to be a perfect mediator. Live perfectly, die sinlessly and sacrificially, and be raised gloriously from the dead. You need that mediator. This morning, don't leave out of this room without a mediator between you and God because that is the most dangerous place for you to be. This morning, you might be here and you might be thinking, okay, Wes, what you have just described is amazing. Exodus 34, 29 through 35, you've described a glorious God where Moses gets to experience that. You've talked about Matthew 17 where Jesus' disciples, they get to experience that. You talked about 2 Corinthians 3 where Jesus is glorious, all these things. And you're like, I want to have that experience. I want that to be true of me. How do I get some of that? I want that kind of experience. This morning, you can have that experience. You actually may can have a greater experience than what the disciples experienced on the mountain, what Moses experienced on the mountain. And you might not believe me when I say this, but you can have that same glorious experience with the God of the heavens and the earth on Mount Sinai, on the Mount Transfiguration, in His Word. And you'll be like, no, no, Wes, I've read my Bible before, and I've never had that kind of experience. Let me tell you this. This is how Peter describes his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Peter went up that mountain in Matthew 17. 
Listen to what he says in 2 Peter when he's writing his letter. Here's how he describes his experience and his time on that mountain. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We received, when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, speaking about Jesus, and the voice was born to him by the majesty of glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were there with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is describing his experience. We were there. We saw everything. We heard the voice. We saw the glory. We saw the radiating glory of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. You know what Peter is saying here? That experience was great. That was awesome. Once in a lifetime. But we have the prophetic word that we get to read over and over and over again to hear about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is better. I hope that would change our quiet times, church. You might say, man, mine's pretty cold right now. Mine's, I, I don't feel anything. I don't get that experience, what you're describing. Well, just know that when you come to the Bible, you are hearing God's voice when you are reading it. You are experiencing God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ as it is written in Scripture. Know that through the Scriptures and by the power of the Spirit, you are encountering the God of Mount Sinai and the God of Mount Transfiguration. Don't underestimate what is going on when you come to the Word. It is glorious. We come to the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit as Christ is our mediator. And He's a better mediator because He doesn't have the distance that has been created like Moses through sin. He is a perfect mediator who encounters, who enables us to encounter the living God through faith and repentance. This morning, if you want that encounter, if you want to know God, it is only going to come through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are in Christ Jesus and you want that encounter with God, this morning it is only going to come from going and encountering Him through the Word. This morning, don't discount those two things. Take those into consideration. Repent and believe and go into God's Word and experience Him as glorious. Let's pray. God, we love You and You are a glorious, great God. And Lord, I want to ask for forgiveness, for I know myself, Wes McKay, has not seen you in that way. I've belittled and diminished you. I've not thought so highly of you. I've thought of myself more highly than you. God, but you truly are glorious, so glorious in fact that you leave your radiating glory presence all over people. God, I pray right now that we would see and experience that in your word that it would draw some to faith in Christ Jesus, that it would draw some to go and devour the words that you have given us, the more fully confirmed word that is better than any experience that we could get here on this earth, and that in it we would be transformed and changed and conformed into the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray this.